morning. What will you leave your children? Is the title of the message today. What will you leave your children? Now, the, the, the message basically is not to, uh, let's say, cause anyone to get down and depressed about where you are in your walk or in your, uh, with your family and things like that. It's called to give us all motivation to go higher. What would you leave your children once they are gone or grown? What would you have left with them? And, I, you know, I, I think about that myself because I have three grown children. And so I think about what did I do to teach them things that would impact their lives for eternity? What did I do? What did I really show them that would be, have lasting effect in their lives for good? What did I show them uh, that I didn't mean to show them? that's <laughs> going to have an impact on their lives. Those are the t- type of things I wanted to think about and share with you today. Now, let's first of all give you a little statistics here. And uh, it's just interesting, some statistics that are out there. They said that 90, 98% of mothers and 90% of fathers hug their children from birth to two years old. But by the time the kids reach 10 to 12, the mothers fell down to hugging their children 74% and fathers 50%. I wonder how many people really give their teenagers a hug because you notice it has dropped from there. The question could be how many teenagers want their parents to give them a hug. <laughs> <You know? laughs> But, you know, uh, you know that some of our teenagers have, the, have the, um, the love language of touch. You know that. And if we don't give them the touches, they're going to seek it somewhere else. So we, we do want to be mindful of what God is sharing with us. Another interesting statistic was that 40% of all births are to unmarried women. 40% of all births. That's really interesting because my, my daughter works in, um, on weekends at Virginia Baptist taking pictures of babies. Uh, so some interesting stories there. Children from single-parent households account for 72% of teenage murders, 6% of people who commit rape crimes, and are seven, 11, 11 times more likely to exhibit violent behavior. Now, 40% of of children are unborn, are born to un, unmarried women, then we see how that's a large statistic there. Approximately 70% of single-parent mothers live in poverty, earning less than 13000 annually. And this is worldwide. It's not church statistics. It's worldwide. Suicide is the third leading cause of death for 15 to 24-year-olds, and six the sixth leading cause of death for five to fourteen year olds. I, I didn't. That, that that really amazed me that that someone as young as five commits suicide. Now the statistic goes along with that is that sixty three percent of teen suicides come from fatherless homes. Approximately fifteen thousand teenagers use drugs for the first time every single day. 
approximately 3,500 teenagers run away from home every day. Now, along with that statistic, 90% of all runaways and homeless children are from fatherless homes. So we have a problem in society here. Even uh, in high-crime neighborhoods, these are high-crime neighborhoods, 90% of the children from stable, two-parent homes where the father is involved do not become delinquents. Do not. That's, That's amazing. 85% of children with behavior problems come from fatherless homes. 85% of all youth in prison come from fathers' homes. I thought this was an interesting statistic. It says that uh, couples who marry before the age of 25 run the highest risk of getting a divorce, while couples who marry after the age of 30 run the lowest risk of divorce. That gives our singles who are older, you know, <laughs> a little inspiration there, you know. Now, now we know in the church, uh, those statistics shouldn't hold true, really, in the church. Now, I'm not going to teach you today from expertise, or my expertise and experiences. I'm not going to teach you from that. I'm going to teach you from the expert. The expert. That's what we want, isn't it? The expert. That's what I wanted to teach you from uh, because, you know, it's always tempting to uh, tell you about your experience and things like that, but that's not really that important. What's important is what God says in his word. Now, we want to look at uh, the situation, that the statistics we gave you. We're going to eliminate those statistics for the church. And the only thing we can do is for this church because this is a church that we're responsible for as elders. Um, when I think of this world system, I think of the values, the, you know, the rules, the regulations, and principles uh, of this world. We have two types. We have the natural and we have the spiritual. And so uh, I want to encourage you uh, in, in this church as Christians that we're going to walk according to the spiritual values, principles, rules, guidelines. That's what we're going to walk by. Because any other is not going to make it. And I was thinking that there are some good natural laws and values. But then the thought came to me that don't even worry about the natural. Because if we're concerned more about the spiritual, every natural law that's any good is going to come from God anyway. Really. If I say, if, if I say don't, don't even be concerned about the laws of, of the land. Don't be concerned about it. You can know them, but don't concern, be concerned about it. Learn the spiritual laws. You say, wait, wait a minute. There are, uh, you know, you had to pay taxes. Well, that's in the word. Well, you, had, you, know, well, you still have to obey, obey the spirit, the, 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 you know, the speed limit. You had to obey everything people say. That's in the word, too. There's nothing that's not in the word that's really in the natural that's in the good. So I'm excited about bringing you... Uh, where these statistics here that we read, they're not going to be effective in your lives. That if, uh, if our young people want to get married like we did, at, uh, I think I was 22 when I got married, uh, then that's great, you know, great. There's no problem as long as we're walking by the spirit and not by the flesh. Is that correct? And we are talking about usually, just like insurance companies talk about, is that uh, the insurance is going to go up for uh, people who are 
below 25, I mean, it's, it's up. Once you reach 25 and above, it starts going down because maturity kicks in usually. Well, I say if you're in this word of God from the time that you uh, were birthed or before you were birthed, I believe that the word of God is going to be that you're going to have some knowledge, some wisdom, some understanding, some prudence and discretion, and, and you're going to have the fruit of the spirit, temperance. You're not going to fall in those same situations. In Psalm 127, verse 3, and, and, and you might can't follow me, biblical-wise, because I'm, I'm not going to stay there. I'm going to be going to another one uh, pretty, pretty quick. Behold, children... Or a heritage, it says in King James, this mind, New American Standard says, gift of the Lord, which means the same thing. The fruit of the womb is a reward. In other words, God is telling us uh, what I'm saying is true here. In Ezekiel, Ezekiel 16, 20, 21, it says, moreover, you took your, and it's talk, talking about Israel, your sons and daughters whom you have borne to me and sacrificed them to idols to be devoured. Where your holotry is so small a matter, you slaughtered my children and offered them up to idols by causing them to pass through the fire. In other words, God is telling Israel that they are my children. They are mine. And so, yes, God did give them to us as a gift, as, as a heritage to bring up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, and to present back to him. Yes, he did give us that. But he also said, they are mine. You have to be good stewards, and you're going to turn them over back to me, and I want a godly heritage. In Jeremiah, chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you, in the womb, I knew you. And that tells me something. That tells me that every child that God gives us is his. And he knew them. Before, before you even thought about them, he knew them. It says, before you were born, I concentrated, consecrated you. I appointed you to be a prophet of the nations. God has a call on every child that's born. He has a purpose for them. And what we want to do is say, God, I desire to be a good steward. Help me because I cannot do it of, an, of myself. We can't do it. We just can't do it. We can do nothing apart from God. Is that, is that true? That's what God is saying. Now, we want to go a little bit further and say, well, okay, how do we do this thing then? Because it is a difficult task. Reading children is a diff difficult task. It really is. God, we need help in this thing. How do we do it? Well, the first thing is it must start with us. Let's look in Ephesians. Uh, let's go to chapter 6. You know, we talked about the husband-wife situation in chapter 5. Then in chapter 6, it tells us about the children. And it says that children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may be well with you, 
and that you may live long on the earth. Verse 4 is the emphasis today. Fathers. And that word fathers uh, really means parents. It means parents. In this verse, as well as in uh, Hebrews 11, it means parents. But even if it did mean fathers, is no big thing because we know that uh, since fathers are the head of the household and the father's going to give the information to the, to the, uh, to the, to the wife and they're together, they're in partnership, is going to uh, rear the children. We know that. So therefore, it's still the same situation. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Don't provoke them. Don't stir up them. Don't irritate them. Don't just uh, keep on them. Don't, don't keep on their case about things, basically. Because we can harass children also. And when we harass children, what happens is that they start, they start, getting, depre- they start getting down and depressed about the things of God because we are provoking them to anger. And we'll talk more about that. Because it says, but, which there is an alternative that God says, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So today we want to talk about one of those, and, and usually it's going to be both, is the instruction of the Lord, the discipline of the Lord. And really, uh, in the King James, it might say the nurture of the Lord, the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. So we want to talk about this instruction. And in the bottom line, this instruction means the education of the Lord. That which the Lord really desires for us to do with our children. That's what it is. What do we do in that case? Now, we have two things, uh, three things that we can, the way we can teach this thing. We can teach by just uh, what I'm doing now. You can talk to your children. You can teach them verbally. And that's good. That's one way. We can also teach them visually. We can have some illustrations and things of that nature. We can do that. Because some children learn better with visuals than they do just with auditory learning. We can do it with both. Then there's a type of learning that's a little bit different. It's a type of learning that uh, we call implied. Meaning that you didn't try to teach them by your words and sit them down talking to them. You didn't do that. You didn't really teach them visually by showing them anything on a particular topic. But just your everyday life, they picked up information. And it's implied information. And believe me, that's very important also. And, and I just want to touch on that just a little bit because that's one we don't think about. A lot of times that implied things. Let's turn to Samuel and see one of those implied things that happens that we should have said something. We should have done something to show them something, but we did neither one. And it's just one of those implied things that they pick up. And sometimes we can provoke our children to anger by just implied instruction. In, in chapter 13 of Second Samuel, it's the case of one of David's, King David's son, one of his sons. And two of them became involved. We pick it up in verse 1. Now, now it was after this that Absalom, the son of David, 
had a beautiful sister whose name was Tamar. And Ammon, the son of David, loved her. Now, Absalom and Tamar were by the same mother, but Ammon wasn't. Ammon, it says, is David's firstborn. And Ammon was so frustrated in verse 2, it says, because his sister Tamar, uh, that he made himself ill, for she was a virgin, and, and it seemed hard for Ammon to do anything to her. But Ammon had a friend whose name was Jonadab. I, I hope y'all don't have any, any friend like this, Jonadab. He, he, he was not too good. He, he really wasn't. He was, he was kind of shrewd. And um, he said to him, O oh, son of the king, why are you so depressed morning after morning? Will you not tell me? I am in love with Tamar, the sister of my brother Absalom. And so Jonadab, he, he said to him, Lie down on your bed and pretend that you are ill. When your father comes to you and see you, um, you tell him that please let my sister Tamar come and give me some food to eat and, and, and let her prepare the food in my, my sight that I may eat it from her hand. Now, that's not good. Uh, don't ever do that, okay? <laughs> don't do that. Don't listen to anybody that's going to tell you something that's against the word of God. Don't do that. So Ammon did exactly what he said, and it happened just what he said. David uh, told uh, Tamar to go to, his, to, to, his, to her brother and, and prepare food for him. And then a situation happened where uh, they have people around, of course, and, but Ammon, uh, he's slick, see, he, he tells them, okay, now the food's about ready. He says, okay, I want you to, everybody leave my presence. Now, of course, this is the king's son, so... So he has servants and everything. He has young people that minister to him. So he, of course, uh, tells them that, and they leave. They leave. Now the only one's left is Tamar and him. He said, well, Tamar, I want you to do this. I want you to bring food to me and feed me with, out of your hand. And so she did, and then he grabbed her. Okay, and I'm, I'm, I'm going, you know, I'm just telling you what the story is, okay? And he grabbed her, and uh, she, she, oh, man, this is not good. This is not good. Oh, my good. Not good. Now, listen to what, what's happening here. This is verse 12. But she answered him, no, my brother, do not violate me. For such a thing is not done in Israel. Do not do this disgraceful thing. As for me, where could I get rid of my reproach? And as for you, you would be like one of the fools in Israel. Now, therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. However, he didn't listen to him. He violated her. Verse 15, then Ammon hated her with a very great hatred. For the hatred which he hated her was greater than the love which he had loved her. And Ammon said to her, get up, get away, go away. But she said to him, no, because this is wrong in sending me away. This is greater than, the, than what you did before. No, I'm not going anywhere. Then he called a young man, his servants, and he said to him, look, get this woman out of my house. Get her out, lock the door behind her. That's, that's not good. 
Now, I hope you women are listening. These single women, I hope you're listening. Okay? Hope you're listening. Then Absalom, her brother, now this is Tamar, got out, went out of the house. Of course, she put ashes on him, put a hand on her head, tore clothes and things like that. And in verse 20, Absalom, her brother, said to her, Has Ammon, your brother, been with you? But now keep silent, my sister. Uh, he is your brother. Do not take this matter to heart. So Tamar remained it with, uh, remained it with uh, Absalom, and, and, and she was desolate in his house. Now, there's no more heard about Absalom, really, uh, about Tamar. Now, Absalom named a, uh, his child out of her, but, but there's nothing else heard, heard about Tamar. It's a sad situation. Now, listen at what the parent did. Now, when King David heard all these matters, he was very angry. Okay, that's fine. <clears throat> You're very angry. What are you going to do? What are you going to say? I'm listening. I'm listening. I want to see something. I want to hear something. What are you going to do, uh, uh, King? My father, what are you going to do? Now, Absalom, of course, was angry. Verse 23, it says that, now it came about after two full years. David did absolutely nothing. 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 Now, he could have administered justice, but he didn't. He could have made sure all of Israel knew that this is a sin and it's not going to happen in Israel. I don't care if it's my house or anybody, it's not going to happen. He didn't do that. What do you think Absalom learned by David's doing nothing, his father doing nothing, but getting angry? Well, so what? You get angry and stomp around the house with your lip poked out. So what? Are you going to do something? Are you going to say something? What's what's going to happen? So fathers, parents, don't provoke your children to anger, and the King James might say wrath, don't, don't provoke them. What, what, what this, if you don't bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, if you don't do something, if you don't administer justice to one child over another child, what's going to happen is that it, it, it provokes the other one to anger. And we know the rest of the story about Absalom, don't we? Not only did he hate, hate Ammon, not only did he kill him, you know, oh yeah, you know, he, oh, he's going to get rid of him. But also, he didn't, he didn't have a lot of respect for his father, did he? Because he used up the thought over him, he was going to get rid of him too. So it caused much, much harm in that family. And I call that implied learning. Absalom learned something, even though David didn't intend him to learn that. But by what we don't do, our, our children can learn from it. They really can I want to show you a video clip and uh, then go from there. This is a two-part message, by the way, uh, so you know. I want to show you a video clip because sometimes uh, we're going to emphasize our children because our children are very important. That's the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. What you impart to your children now, your great, 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 grandchildren are going to be reaping results of it, good or bad. And we're trying to make sure it's good, aren't we? Because 
God is after a thousand generations. That's what he said. He'll, he'll do good and bless a thousand generations for those who love him. But we don't, we don't want any curses. We don't want this kind of stuff going on. So I want to show you a video clip. And then we'll finish up the message. Dad. Can you hear the house lights from? You don't know it right now. But I'm watching you. Watching the things you do. I'm watching the way you treat people. The way you treat me and my mom and my sister. The way you live your life is having a big impact on me. When it's time for me to choose a career and provide for my family, your work ethic will be on my mind. The time you spend with me, even doing simple things, will give me a sense of security. There will be times in my life where I struggle with integrity and I may be not sure what to do. But I will recall how you stood up for what was right, even if you could have looked the other way. Many of the choices you are making, I will also make. Please don't be afraid to show me your failures, to show me your mistakes. I will learn from them. Dad, are you listening? I'm watching. Watching to see if you really believe what you say about God. I need you to help show me the way. Show me how to live life that isn't safe, but is good. So I'm watching you, Dad, every day. You're teaching me how to live, whether you know it or not. A lot of eyes watching us, don't we? Even when we're at church, even for the singles, you may think just because, uh, say, our young young adult, our young singles, they don't have any children. Uh, let's say that um, you think just because you don't have children that you don't have little eyes watching you, but you do. You did. They watch you. And we tell them, you know, not to do this, not to do that. And then they watch us and see whether we do those things or not. Because sometimes uh, it's just one of those situations. We're going to have a, we'll, a coffin ministry. Uh, the target date is, is soon. And I uh, don't want to tell you what date. <laughs> oh, I don't want to ask for forgiveness for that, you know. Uh, but, um, and uh, we're going to have a, 
a sign or whatever. We'll tell the people uh, the coffee is from whenever you get here for, for Sunday school class or life groups. Uh, and it goes to 10.30, 10.30, everything stops, but no coffee's in here. And um, the little kids, they'll be watching. They'll be watching. Because when we tell them, don't run in the halls, don't run in the halls, then they see you turn, turn around and bring something in the sanctuary they told you not to. What's the difference? Disobedience is disobedience, isn't it? They're watching. They're watching. They see. They see. And that is a really a wake-up call for me and everyone else. Now, I know I have, um, I have, I have eyes watching me at home and in my life, but I have a lot of eyes watching me. You know, from not only just this church, my goodness gracious, all over Lynchburg, you know, uh, people watching. And, and, and we have a responsibility to represent God, to glorify him. That's what we have. Now, so what do we do then? What's the first thing we do? As parents or as or those who will be parents at some point in time, Let's look at um, Deuteron- Deuteronomy chapter 6. Let's go there in the two verses there that we want to uh, cover. It tells us the first thing that God is calling for us to do. Start in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Verse 6. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. Let's stop there, because we're, we're speaking to the parents, and the, we'll be parents today. And everyone here, teenagers and all, I'm speaking to you. Those who uh, are younger than teenage years that are, that are here, I'm, taking, I'm talking to you, because you'll be a parent one day. Whether you think it or not, you'll be a parent one day. The first thing we need to do is make sure we get the word in our hearts. We have to do that. Without that, we don't have a chance. We don't have a chance of teaching our children to be godly because what we do is going to outweigh what we say. Believe me. Believe me. That's true. So, if I start just talking to you. I can talk to you from any place in the Bible, and I was going to go to Ephesians, but um, we, can, we can start there, Ephesians chapter 5. But the thing would be, let's take what I've already taught you, which you already know. Let's take that, how do you want your child to be when they grow up and they get married? How do you want them to be in their marriage? How do you want them to be? Let's say you have a son. How do you want your son to be? 
So you have a daughter. How do you want your daughter to be? How do you want your son to treat his wife? How do you want your daughter to respond to her husband? How do you want it to happen? Do you want it to happen just like God said it? Or do you want them to make up their own rules and do as they, you know, react, let's say, to whatever stimulus happens? Obviously, we want them to obey the word of God. Well, if we want them to obey the word of God, then what should we do as husbands now? What should we do as young single adults now? What should we do? See, my daughter's going to watch to see how I treat their mother. They're going to watch to see what type of affection we have. They're not ignorant. <laughs> They're not foolish. They know when, they know somebody's going to get mad. Sometimes if you stay in that house long enough for 18 years, you're going to hear some, you're going to hear some, uh, uh, see some anger somewhere. We're not robots now. <laughs> but how do you respond? It's, it's, it's okay to get angry, but how are you going to respond to that? That's in Ephesians. How are you going to respond to that? The way you respond is teaching that child, this is the way you respond when you get angry. Now, you can tell them all you want to. You stop hollering at your little sister. Don't hit your little brother. Well, he went in my room. I told him to stay out of my room. Well, I understand that. Let me deal with it. He does it all the time. You don't do anything to him. I've heard that. Yeah. So, what are you going to do? Right? All the thing they're doing is following you. Have you seen a, a little child? They have a, a doll or something. And um, they take the doll and they do what they have seen you do. They treat the doll the way they've seen you treat it. And you've definitely seen little boys. Probably, if you haven't seen them in real life, you've seen them on, on, on probably some visual somewhere. How they, they'll take the little sister dog and take the head off. You know, <laughs> you've probably seen that. You know? Getting out of aggression. You know. You see, some some people teach that the way you get out of aggression is you got to get it get it off some way. So, get something and beat it up. You know, get something and tear it up. You know, get a punching bag and punch it up. You know, do something. You know? And when I grew up, they said, play athletics and play football and just, I mean, just cripple somebody. You know, just hit them so hard, knock the hell man off and give them a concussion. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm serious. That's what they teach, man. No, that's what they teach. But I was a running back and not defense, so I was oh, man, Coach Shelley to do that. <laughs> I gotta, I gotta get a little agility on me here, boy. I gotta get, get a little speed on me, boy, because they, they go, they go wipe me out. You see, uh, uh, but that's the way people get off, get off, get off anger. How, how, what do you do? You see, God says, be angry and sin not. Okay, so that, how are you gonna do that? Well, we better not get too angry. That's a bit, first thing. Don't get too angry. Get angry at sin. Don't get angry at the person. 
Because, see, you're going to have to tell your child and teach your child that. that now, look, uh, it says in the Bible, be angry and sin not. We're talking about Ephesians now, okay? And, but now, it also says that we don't war against flesh and blood. So, sweetheart, you just can't uh, uh, take it out on, on your little sister like that. Uh, because, see, it's not your little sister. It's the principalities and the powers and rules. It's teaching. You're teaching. You have to teach the Word of God. You have to take time with, the, with your children and teach the Word of God. What I'm talking about is found in Ephesians. Do you hear what I'm saying? You know, do you know the, the book? And if you don't know the book that well, then I can turn to it and we can go over every scripture. But I don't want to do that right now. Uh, what I want to do is just tell you about it because it's scripture. You know it's scripture, too, because we've gone over some time, too. You can teach boundaries to your children. How are you going to teach boundaries? You keep boundaries. There are boundaries. There's boundaries you just don't cross. As a husband, as a wife, there are boundaries. That's why, you know, they put on rings. One of the reasons they put on a ring, you know, so it's a boundary, isn't it? Yeah. Why are you putting your arm around your wife? You think, you think personal, they're going to steal a man? You know? He's making sure people keep their boundaries, right? (laughs) And see, as you keep boundaries, see, there's a protocol to everything. Just about. There's a protocol. There's a protocol for the grocery store. A lady got mad at me uh, at Kroger. I'm serious. She got mad at me, man. And um, uh, because I was in this line for the regular people, you know, for uh, they had the, the help behind the counter to check you out. Then they have the automated one, and they have two lines of it, you know, machines on this side, machines on this side. And one lady in front of me, she got out and got over there, and she got right by this machine behind this other person. So I said, hmm, I'm going to do that. So I got over here, and I got behind her. And the lady over here said, hey, you can't do that. The line doesn't start there. I said, I said, Where's the, where's the line? The line back there. That's where the line. I said, well, this is a line. That's a line. No, it's one line. You know? I said, this is one, one, two. You are cutting line. Get in the back. So I said, yes, ma'am. I get, I get in the back. Yes, ma'am. So I, I got in the back. And then the lady in front of me, she, she said, well, it's two lines. I said, <laughs> But I have a reputation to uphold Jesus Christ. So I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do that. But there are boundaries, aren't there? Now, I wish they had put up a sign that says there's one line. And then when you get to the front, you can go to either, when there's a break, go to either machine. It doesn't matter, anywhere, but get in one line. They don't have a sign. I didn't know. You know? There are boundaries everywhere you go. So you have to teach your children boundaries. Uh, this is your, 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 your sister's room, son. Do not go in your sister's room. Period. Don't go in there. You know? Well, my airplane flew in there. Don't go in there. I'll go get it. Don't go in there. You see? Don't go in there. Boundaries. You see? But you, but you can't, you know, I have boundaries as, as, as a senior pastor here. I can't step over lines in, in the boundaries because I put people in charge of things. I have to ask permission, you know, to change something if somebody else, I put somebody else over it. You see? Yeah, I just don't, I can't, I just can't, hey, hope. I don't like the way these chairs are. 
You know, I know I put you over the chairs, move them, you know. No, that's crazy, you know. I have boundaries. Everybody has boundaries. But if you don't keep boundaries, your children are not going to keep boundaries. I don't care if you told them to stay out of the room, but they see you break boundaries. Oh, they know. They know. They know. Don't they? Yeah. There are so many things that, that I want to share. I want to share with you discipline, too, because you know, discipline is what someone looks at and they say, well, hmm, 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 discipline. I don't believe in discipline. Oh, you should believe in discipline. I'm not talking about punishment. I'm talking about what? Discipline. Okay? Discipline. Uh, there's a difference between the two. Uh, so next week we want to talk about that and how some people have trained their children to uh, do things. And, and See, the discipline is training, basically, because that's what you do in the Army, in the, in the Navy, in the, I think you went to the Marines, didn't you? you understand? Uh, they, 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 you know, discipline you. They mean they trained you, you know. They whipped you into shape from the day you got there. Uh, that's called discipline. It's just training, you know, so that you respond the way you should respond. That's all. Now, if you, didn't, if you don't accept discipline, then there's punishment. There are consequences, aren't there? Now, uh, consequences don't always have to be punishment, but usually there's pain involved in consequences, usually. Okay? It's in the Word, isn't it? Okay? But, but we need help with our children because we have, we have uh, uh, young people who, if they haven't been taught how to uh, discipline, how to train, how to encourage their children, then they're going to do it just the way they caught it. And we don't want them just doing it the way they caught it. We want them to do it in a biblical way. Okay? So we'll talk about some of those things next week also. So I've enjoyed, really, uh, studying for this because there are so many lessons uh, that we want to teach our children. And I know that you probably thought I was going to teach from uh, Ephesians, uh, Ephesians 6, 1, 2, 3. Children, obey your parents, da-da-da-da-da. Uh, it doesn't start there. It starts with parents obey God. That's where it starts. <laughs> you know? And it's going to work out okay. Let's stand. Let me have the prayer team come up with you, please. Let me have those who are on a prophetic team come over. Prophetic, get over that way and, you know, whatever. Thank you. Father, we, let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that you have given us to be responsible for generations to come when you have entrusted children to us. You've entrusted children not only to me, to each person who uh, has birthed a child, but you have entrusted children that somebody else birthed. You've entrusted children because we're in the larger family called the church. We're responsible also that whatever they catch, whatever is implied, is going to be glorifying you. Whatever they see, is going to be bringing glory to you. 
We're going to teach lessons in this body, Lord. Singles and married. We're going to teach lessons by visuals. We're going to walk them out as adults. And we're going to watch our children learn eternal lessons. Those who, mothers who don't have a father at home. We, we heard your statistics. We know that it's serious and it's devastating to hear that. But I thank you, Lord, that you are my husband. All the single parents can say, I thank you, Lord, that we have uh, a church body that will teach my children and reinforce that which I've been saying to them, even though they can't see it, a father, a biological father there in the house doing it, they can see it in the church. The word of God worked out. It's being reinforced every time they are in service. It's being worked out. On their level, it's being worked out because they hear it, they see it. God, I'm so thankful our single parents can say that. Our single parents can ask one of the uh, men of the church, hey, can you, can you spend a little time with my, my son? That he may be able to hear a male's voice that's godly in his life. Oh, God. We are in this together. We are a family. We are here for one another. Thank you, Father, for that. There's anyone here that you need prayer because you're struggling in that area. I'm struggling as a parent. Or you know your children are struggling because they have seen, they have heard things that they shouldn't have seen, they shouldn't have heard. And you want prayer that God would just do a poisoning exercise on the seeds that were sown so that a harvest won't come up that's going to be detrimental to their lives. The prayer team is available. If you have a need for rededication or for salvation, the prayer team is up here and they will lead you to the Lord. They will lead you through a prayer, a rededication. They are here for whatever you need. The prophetic team, they are here if you need a prayer and see whether God may say something to you. They are here for you.